Well, if you love the Lord this morning, say amen. amen. It's good to be in God's house today with all of you and good to be with all these beautiful men. Amen. I tell you, to filling up the whole altar up there. Well, how many of you dared to get out in that Black Friday business? Oh my goodness, only a few crazies right there, right there. <laughs> I tell you what, uh, you know, the whole world at this time of year tries to determine for us our perspective, don't they? You know, at this time of the year, this is the time that the retailers tell us to get out and buy and spend and shop ourselves to death, amen? They pull out all the stops and they try to tell us that we need to, to get ready because this is the end of the year, the final push, fill up their coffers, right? And we literally, all of us, get into a mode of wrapping it up, um, looking for January to come to start our new year. But this is just one perspective. You see, um, this is the cultural retail perspective. But today, we have a different perspective. You see, the church has a different calendar and it's called the liturgical calendar year. And the church says that this is the first Sunday of Advent, preparing the way for the Lord. So it's not the end of the year for us, it's the beginning, amen? amen. You see, there are many perspectives that we can choose to follow after in life. They're all around us, they push at us, they tug at us. And just because we don't know that there are different calendars doesn't mean that they don't exist. They're there, we just have to find them. We have to find that perspective. You see, sometimes it's just that we give in to the perspective that's pulling at us and tugging at us the hardest. Just because we're unaware doesn't mean that there's not a God perspective. See, in the Christian tradition, we've been given a calendar and we celebrate Advent. This is called Advent Sunday. And Advent literally comes from the Latin word, which means Adventus, which means coming. It's a season in the church when we prepare, we make ready, we're expecting, we're celebrating the nativity of Jesus. This is the period right before Christmas. It's the beginning of our year, not the end. So while the consumer retail culture may give us a perspective, God gives us a different perspective. You see, we always have choices, don't we? We have choices in which perspective we take. We, when we choose a perspective, we choose a value system and an inevitably an associated belief system. You see, when we look at a business perspective, we're looking at what? A monetary-based value system and beliefs. When we're looking at human perspective, it's a more social value systems associated and beliefs. But when we look at a spiritual perspective, we're talking about hope. You see, many times when I say the word hope, we think of hope from the human perspective. We think of it as all of the circumstances and goodies that can come into my life that can make me feel like what I've wanted can complete me. That's what we think about hope. However, when we use it in a spiritually mature context, hope carries the connotation of being spiritually aware or being aware of spiritual truth. Everybody say that, being aware of spiritual truth. You see, hope 
in the Bible is one of the three virtues. It's one of three spiritual truths, faith, hope, and love, which are spiritual gifts from God. Hope's not a physical emotion. That's what we normally think of it as. But it's a spiritual grace. You see, hope is distinctive from positive thinking. See, a lot of times we think of it in terms of maybe that counselor you've been to, which those are all good, and they help me get on track. But a lot of times what we think is, is he up there talking about changing from a negative attitude to a positive attitude or reversing pessimism? No. To illustrate what I'm saying, if I was to use the term false hope, I would be referring to a hope that's based entirely around fantasy or extremely unlikely outcome. Hope in the context that I'm speaking to our hearts today is changing from a verb to a noun. For instance, when I say I have hope in God, I'm not saying that I hope God will give me all the goodies that I think will make my life happier. What I'm saying is God is, in fact, my hope. See, the question that I have to ask for each of us today, as we journey together the next four weeks, is what perspective are you allowing to guide and push your life? What value systems or belief systems are your decisions based on? Are you looking at the circumstances of your life to be your hope? Are you putting your hope in God? You see, let's look at the characters from our scripture today. Zechariah and Elizabeth were told that before anyone else, that God was setting in motion his own visit to earth. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were known for their personal holiness, and they were well suited for doing a special work for God. But these two characters shared a special pain together. They shared the pain of not having children. Now, in the Jewish culture, this was considered not having God's blessing. See, in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish perspective of the time, not having children gave them permission to not be married. Oh, I'm preaching good now, aren't I? <laughs> you see, this trip to the temple could have been thwarted by, by Zechariah altogether. He could have said, you see, they've already discounted my marriage and my ministry, so why stand in line to serve God? Why keep my name on the list? But Zechariah decided, no, I'm not going to be discounted just because I don't have children, because my perspective is that I hadn't been chosen because of what, what people say. I've been chosen because of what God says. So this trip to the temple in Jerusalem for Zechariah turns out to be an extraordinary event, doesn't it? Y'all heard it just a minute ago, and the guys read it so good. As Zechariah was chosen to be a priest for this day, that meant that he got the extra special duty of going into the Holy of Holies and lighting the incense to God for the people. In essence, he was going to go and light all of the incense and send up the prayers of all the hearts of the people before God and suddenly to his surprise and to his terror he found himself face to face with an angel 
The angel's message to him was too good to be true. But Zechariah, he didn't respond to the coming of the Savior as much as he did what many of us do in our life. He expressed his doubt about his own ability to father a child the angel had promised him. You see, he at that moment was allowing his age to speak more loudly than God's promise. As a result, God prevented Zachariah from speaking until the promise became a reality. You know, I just imagine that when this interchange was going on there, I could just hear God saying, okay, that'll be enough from you. <laughs> and you know that that's how it is in our life many times. God is speaking forth things in us, and we are being discounted by the world around us, by our situation and our circumstances, and it's pulling at us and tugging at us. And sometimes God just keeps on pushing us and saying, I know who you are and I've chosen you. The record of prayer in Luke is our last glimpse of Zechariah. Like so many of God's most faithful servants, he passes quietly from the scene once his part was done. Today, this morning, I want him to be our hero for the times when we doubt God and yet we are willing to obey. You see, we gain hope from Zechariah and Elizabeth's story that God can do through anything through anyone that is available to God. Just look at me standing here today. Amen? Amen. You see, hope was kept alive in Zechariah and Elizabeth's heart. The hope of having a child despite the fact that they were long beyond childbearing years. They were not looking at their circumstances for their hope, but they were looking to their God. You see, the Jewish community was willing to disqualify their marriage and their ministry. But Zacharias stepped up to take his rightful place in the service of the temple of God. They could have allowed their circumstances to define them and disqualify them. However, they refused to be defined by their culture. And they demanded, and that's what I want for us today, they demanded to be defined by their God. You see, they put their hope in God. They had a choice to choose perspective that would inform their decision. I can relate to this story very much in my life. As my parents, Bruce and Connie Wood, are wonderful ministers of the gospel and brought us up with hope in God. One of my dad's famous admonitions every day as I would get off his car to go into junior high and high school, was, son, remember whose you are and who you are, and don't let anyone ever tell you different. At the age of eight years old, I gave my life to Christ at a revival that my dad was preaching in Lexington, Texas. I remember that day as the hymn played and tears streamed down my face and the warmth of the Holy Spirit came into my heart as I came and knelt at the altar and invited Jesus Christ into my heart as my Lord and Savior. At the, age of, at the age of nine years old, I remember my Gigi. She's the one that passed away earlier this year. Oh, if Gigi was here this morning, she'd be proud of us all. But she led me that day next to a couch in our living room while she's supposed to be babysitting me. She said, do you want to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire? And I said, sure, Gigi. 
And I tell you that day, Gigi laid her hands on me and we began to speak in tongues and sing and run around that house and cry and laugh and praise the Lord. And that power and the joy of the Holy Ghost has never left my life. At the age of 12, I went to confirmation class. In the Methodist church, you go to confirmation class as a time of preparation for full membership in the church. At the end of confirmation class, they took us to Lakeview Methodist Assembly out in Palestine, Texas, way out there in the pine trees. And as part of one of our exercises at the end of confirmation class, Dad said, I want all of you kids to go and find a place in the woods, and I want you to listen to God and see what God might be saying for your life. And I remember I went way out there in the woods, and I sat down by myself, and I did. I heard the still, small voice of God say, You are mine, and I am yours, and you are in me, and I am in you. And I want you to preach, and I want you to sing, and I want you to take my healing to the ends of the earth all the days of your life. From that day on, I knew I was called by God to minister hope and healing. Following Confirmation Sunday, I began to sing and minister in my parents' church and many Methodist churches around Texas. Me and Rose were reminiscing in between services of those great days when we would do Methodist youth camp and Methodist times together, singing and fellowshipping with God. But along that same time, I was 13, I went through puberty, and I, I realized that I had an intense attraction for boys in my class. See, this was very painful for me as well as my parents because neither of us knew what to do about this or how I would be able to answer the call of God on my life. So my parents gave me this admonition. They've always been very loving and caring people. They said, we can't work this out for you, son, but we know that between you and God, if you'll continue to listen to that voice, you'll work it out. And so, me and God worked it out, but I took a personal solution. I took my own perspective. I didn't know what else to do. And so I decided that I would be celibate and put my heart and love into serving God and to ministering to God's people. At the age of 17, I entered the full-time ministry as director of praise and worship at St. Paul's United Methodist Church in Bryan. Then I went off to junior college in Jacksonville at Lawn Morris Junior College. I continued to work in various churches full-time to put myself through school. I was a worship leader, children's pastor, janitor, whatever you needed, I was that person. Through all those years, I knew I was called to serve the Lord, but at the same time, I knew I was gay. And the years of pain turned into a divided life. And it got harder, and it got harder. And eventually, I succumbed to the secrets of drugs and alcohol to avoid my pain. You see, my secret life of drugs and alcohol now opened me to a double life. I was a gay man at the bar, having a good time, and a minister at church. And each time I was about to be caught or disqualified through my secret, I would leave and move to another town, to another ministry. 
At this next place, I would vow to God, this time, God, I'm going to remain celibate, and I'm going to remain drug and alcohol-free. But to no avail in my life, the cycle continued and continued again. Finally, in 2000, the breaking point came for me. I was attending Oral Roberts University. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I was attending, I was working as the director of worship arts for a new United Methodist Church plant. But I had decided that I just couldn't go on living my life like this any longer. You see, the secrets for me had to end. The lies had to stop. Something had to give. I felt like I was going to die. I knew I was called by God, and the power of the Holy Spirit had never left my life. However, I knew that I was never, ever going to remain celibate. <laughs> I knew that I had a drug and alcohol problem, but the truth was I just didn't know. I just did not know what to do with any of it. So I went to a school counselor at Oral Roberts University. That's a scary thing. <laughs> I told him my whole life story. And I, I told him that day, God hasn't given up on me, and I haven't given up on God. I told him, dude, I have prayed. I have served. I have taught. I have read. I've done everything I can do. But something's got to give. And then, would you know it, like our story today, two miracles fell out of this guy's mouth. He said, I'm not supposed to tell you this today, but there's a gay minister in L.A., and he sounds a whole lot like you. <laughs> and I think you need to read his book. And I said, well, can you tell me how I can get a hold of that book? And he said, no, I cannot. <laughs> You'll have to find the book on your own. And the next thing he said was a miracle. He said, I think you need to go to Alcoholics Anonymous, and you need to allow that group to put the plug in your jug. <laughs> he said, you are never, ever going to be able to work all this out by yourself. You can't do it just between you and God. You need a community to walk with you. You need a family to work all this out with. So, I mean, I ran back to my dorm room, and I got online, and I found that famous book by Troy Perry, The Lord is My Shepherd, and He Knows I'm Gay. And I got it sent to me, and I tell you what, I poured over that book when it got back to Old Roberts University, and I read it and ate it and everything. And let me tell you, as I read that book, hope flooded back into my heart. There was another perspective. There was a preacher that was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and fire that was taking the message of God's love and healing power all over the world. I also found out that during that search that there were two MCC churches right here in Houston. Immediately, I went to the Methodist Church. I resigned my job in Tulsa, and I called my grandmother in Rosenberg, and I moved home to be with her. Shortly after I moved home, I found an Alcoholics Anonymous Center right in Montrose on Clay Street for GLBTQIA people. And I went forward in total humiliation that night 
and I picked up a desire chip. And I allowed those people at that center to support and love me. And I told them all my secrets. I then visited Maranatha MCC in Midtown and Reverend Janet Parker spent hours, and I mean hours, of love and time teaching me how I could be a holy homosexual and fulfill the call of God on my life. And when it seemed like there was an ending, there's always a beginning. When Maranatha closed down, this cute little boy, this cute man, Rico, came into my life. And that week I said, we don't have anywhere to go to church. Well, you can clap for him. I said, the only reason I went to Maranatha was because M came before R, and M is closed down, so let's go to R. <laughs> so, <laughs> and he said, I'm, I'm fine with me. So here we came, prancing in here and sitting right over there. And uh, that was our first week of dating when we visited here at Resurrection. And we began to serve in the children's ministry. And we got married and invited all of you to be part of our marriage. And we bought a house, and we invited you all to our house. And we were able to petition, help to petition Rico's mom from the Philippines. And Rico's sister and niece came to live with us. And Rico and his mom, I got to watch them reunited together in the Hobby Airport after 15 years of being apart. I finished Bible college, and I became the director of Connections. And this December 15th, I will celebrate seven years of continuous sobriety. You see, just like Elizabeth and Zachariah was called to serve God, just like Elizabeth and Zachariah, the culture we live in was willing to discount and disqualify me from having a marriage and a ministry. I had a choice in which perspective I would allow to drive my life. I could have thrown in the towel. I could have surrendered defeat. I could have left the ministry and remained a drug addict and alcoholic. Instead, I chose to look for a different perspective. I continued to hope in God. I continued to look for solutions. I want to encourage each and every one of you as we move to the beginning of our year today together. I want to encourage you this Advent that this is not the end for you. It's the beginning. I want to remind you that the darkest hour comes right before the dawn. You might have been told a thousand times in this room that you'll never make it. You might be facing an addiction that you've tried to overcome a million times. Your doctor may have given you that negative report. Put your hope in God. Get a higher perspective. Your best days are not behind you. They are right out in front of you. You see, Zachariah could not believe that angel when he told him that he and Elizabeth were having a child. So God made him mute for nine months until the birth of their baby. And that baby's name was John. And he was the one that they call 
John the Baptist, the prophet that prepared the way for the coming of Jesus. You see, the struggle you're going through today, no matter how painful, how lonely, how isolated it is, may be the solution to someone else's dilemma down the road. You know, today I'm so glad for each and every one of you that are sitting in a pew on Sunday morning in Houston, Texas, that have not allowed culture to define you, but have allowed God to define you today. I am so glad that Zechariah did not put his hope in his circumstances, but he put his hope in God. I am so glad that Troy Perry put his hope in God because they dared, because you dared to believe you've made a way for my salvation and hope. For the next four weeks on Wednesday nights, we're going to have connection groups in the activities building. And these will be safe, fun spaces for you to come and share your heart and your perspective with others who are journeying together to put a little character in Christmas. At the entrance of of every door today, I've put two pieces of material for you that I want to make available. One of them is the perspective, the Bible and homosexuality. Homosexuality, not a sin, not a sickness. If you haven't gotten that, I want you to pick that up today. I want you to next four weeks pour over it and get it back in your spirit that you are called by God, that you are not discounted by God. Amen? Amen. And then the other thing that I put at the door is put a little character in Christmas. And everybody may not be able to come on Wednesday nights, and so I want you to have it for yourself. And you can just do the little devotionals and light a candle of hope for yourself each week. In closing, you may feel like you came this morning and this is your last hope. You may be feeling like I did. Something's got to give. You need God to come in and help you find a way. I'm going to ask you today, I'm going to ask you for the next four weeks, don't push God away. Invite God in. During Christmas, we're going to sing a song, and it's called, Come Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God that is with us. God that's with us. Not God that's with us when we've got it all together and perfect. God that was with me in that counselor's office when I didn't know what to do. God that was with me when I walked down the aisle to pick up that desired ship. God that was with me when I dared to walk into my first gay church and say, God has not left me and I've not left God. You may be sitting here today and you say, I don't feel like I have much hope. And I've been through a lot. And Jason, I need you to pray for me today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for you today. Let's go to God in prayer. Maybe as you're sitting here today, you realize that you have thought that that relationship or that bank account or that new job was going to be the thing that was going to turn it all around. Put your hope in God. Because whether he or she comes, whether that job 
comes or not, God will be with us. If God be for us, who dare be against us? And so if you're that person today and you say, you know what, I've been putting all of my hope in my circumstances, and today I need to put my hope in God, I want you just to slip up your hand so I can see you. If you're that person right there in the middle, right there on the side, right there in the back, you can put it down. God has seen you. That's all it takes each and every day of my life. When I get through halfway through my day and I realize I've been a crummy, crummy person, I just say, God, would you be with me? And God rushes in in that very moment to be God who is with me. Today, God, I thank you that you have seen each and every need and each and every secret sorrow that is in this building, God. And God, you have met them where they are. And God, you are rushing in to give them new solutions, fresh perspectives. It is not the end. It is the beginning for them. And they know today that they are leaving this place. And God is in the middle of their mess getting ready to make a miracle out of it. We thank you for it right now. In Jesus' name. And now I want us all to pray a prayer that I've grown to love. It's called the serenity prayer. And I want you just to put one hand over your heart if you feel comfortable. And let's just say this together. Just repeat after me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Come, Emmanuel. Dwell in me. Amen. Let's sing this song together. We're going to sing it through three times. And I want you to really take your situation and really take your struggle. And I want you to let Emmanuel come into it right now. Let's sing, oh, come, Emmanuel, help us find. Without the instruments, just lift our voice. 